Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s, I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. Work is changing, we are changing, and there's no guidebook for how to make sense of it. Start your week with the Hello Monday podcast. Listen to Hello Monday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, host of Every Day Better, an award-winning weekly podcast dedicated to personal development. Whether you're looking for ways to shift your mindset or seeking more fulfillment in your life, we've got you covered. Join me as we dive into captivating stories and research-backed ideas that have empowered me and others to lead lives with more clarity and intention. Everyday Better, making growth an everyday practice. Listen to Everyday Better on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You don't have to dip forever. You know that, right? You don't have to smoke forever. And the reason I say it like that is I have been that guy. I, I've been that guy. I dipped for so long and what would happen is I would decide I'm going to quit. Oh, that's bad for me. I'm going to quit. I'm a man. I don't need any help. I'm just going to quit cold turkey. And I would fail time and time and time again. I tried things like the patch. That didn't work. Gum, sunflower seeds. I, I tried it all. It's just a matter of finding the right thing to help you quit. That's Jake's Mint Chew. Go, put in your dip. Just make sure it's Jake's Mint Chew. It's tobacco-free. It's nicotine-free. It's even sugar-free. And I highly recommend, just a personal choice, I highly recommend their CBD pouches because it really helps take that extra edge off. Get a jakesmintchew.com. That's jakesmintchew.com. Make sure you use the promo code JESSE at checkout. When you do that, you get 10% off. This is The Jesse Kelly Show.
Who doesn't love a good siege? You know I love a good siege. Sieges have always and will always fascinate me. I can't promise you I won't do a siege every day for the rest of this week, Chris. We'll just do siege week. Oh, that'd be sweet, right? We might actually do that. Wait a minute. Do we just have an idea? Live on the radio. We thought of something. This is wild. It's like we do this for a living. But one of, if not my favorite sieges of all time is the Siege of Elysia. This is Julius Caesar painting his masterpiece as a general. What he did, I am sure others have done it in history. I will, however, tell you, though, and you're welcome to email me and correct me if you know who else did it. I've never seen it before. And we'll get to exactly what that is. But allow us to set the stage of Julius Caesar in Gaul. And remember when we talk about Gaul, that's France. That's modern day France. And remember this, because this is going to come into play a couple times in our setup to our story here. It is human nature. You do it. I do it. Jewish producer Chris does it. It is human nature to simplify and oversimplify things so they're more easily consumable. Easier to remember, easy to consume. It's part of the reason. I mean, what do I do? I don't give you too many names. I don't give you too many places. I don't give you, I don't even give you specific dates on November 4th, 1942, because you're not going to remember it. That part of the story will not be remembered. You'll remember the basic concepts, a few high points, and you'll move on. And Verka Gederich got with Mr. Robinson and then John Roberts, and then and you're trying to remember that, and you're missing the point of the story. So I don't do it. There are detail nerds out there who will want those, and they're easily available. Like I said, there are 10,000 resources on this stuff. But part of the oversimplification we do is... We talk about Germania or Gaul or, look, we do do it here at home, the Indians, as if it's one thing. They're so different. And not only are they different, because, look, this is what we do with the Indians. Well, I mean, yeah, I know there were different tribes and different things, but they're all, I mean, kind of, they all were kind of the same. No. They were not kind of the same. They ran the gamut. Peaceful, gentle, farming people, nomadic hunters, people who existed almost exclusively on warfare and slave trade. And they were were all over the map. Not the same. Not friends. Not even close. Same skin color, that's about it. Gaul was exactly this way, and this is going to come into play in our story. Gaul, the Gallic tribes, the Gallic tribes were all over the map. 
all over the map. A lot of cultural similarities, sure, more than the Indian tribes, actually. But they, in many ways, hated each other. There were, they didn't think of themselves as Gaul. They would have thought of themselves as their tribe. They wouldn't have known what you were talking about if you referred to them as Gaul. Gaul? Who's that? Never met him. It's just not how they thought. Now, I don't want to just act like it's just us people looking at history who did this. The Romans simplified things, too. Don't get me wrong. The people on the ground and the commanders knew about the different tribes and the rivalries and such. But, but if, you're a, if you're a regular citizen in Rome, you're a Roman blacksmith, you don't know squat about the individual tribes. It's all Gaul to you. What do we do? Are we slapping the Gauls around again? Nice. Sounds good. Back to my horseshoes. So, Julius Caesar is not Julius Caesar yet at this point in our story. He is an uber, uber talented young man. We're just going to take a step away here for a moment because we're talking about probably my favorite historical character ever. And we're going to tell my favorite historical story ever because it's so absurdly cool Julius Caesar, as a young man, I believe he was 18 years old, he had already shown uncanny genius. He was cocky beyond all belief. Uh, probably, when I say genius, they, people overuse that term. From what they understand, we have so much of his writings and so many things written about him. He legitimately was probably a genius, somebody with an IQ higher than you or I put together. He just was one of those people. He gets captured as a young man. He's from a good family name, but not really wealthy yet. Not poor, not wealthy. Gets captured by pirates. This is not unheard of in ancient times. Gets captured and he's being held ransom by these pirates. One, he chooses to write and recite poetry and sing, driving the pirates crazy. So they're screaming at him, shut up, please. They then put out a ransom on him. Caesar is outraged at how low the ransom is insists that the pirates must raise the ransom amount for him because he says he's worth much more than that <laughs> on my life. And then, obviously, they, like, they kind of grow to love the guy. And at some point, he flat out tells them, he tells them as a hostage of pirates, when I get out of here, I'm going to come back here and crucify you all for this. He tells them that while he's at their mercy. They could have pulled his fingernails out at a, at a heartbeat. He does get released, does not run back home and say, Mom, it was so terrible. Immediately goes a couple towns over, raises enough troops to run back there, find the pirates, and crucify all of them. That was young Julius Caesar. Extremely talented young man. And everybody in Rome knew it. He, he was talented beyond belief. Rises and politics his way into power. 
and eventually becomes a consul of Rome. And he's part of, and I, I really don't want to give you too much because it sucks because of the details like I talked about, but he's part of what is called, and this will matter throughout all your Roman history studies, the first triumvirate. Basically, the story was this. There was uber-accomplished, uber-talented Pompey Magnus. Pompey Magnus was this super-stud general. Had triumphs. A Roman hero, a legend. Eventually, Caesar would defeat him in battle later on, but that's long after this. That's another story. A legend. And then there's another guy in Rome. Marcus Licinius Crassus. He is the guy... Maybe the wealthiest man who ever lived. Hang on. Listening to the Jesse Kelly Show. You need to diversify. I've been telling you that, and now you're seeing it, aren't you? You just saw what happened with the markets. It's I'm not when I tell you about a gold IRA from Gold Alliance, I want you to understand. I'm really not trying to scare you. I'm not. I I'm just trying to inform you that. Uncertainty is out there. When you print money like this, when you spend money like this, let me tell you, that story ends one way. And it ends that way every single time. You don't have to pull all your money out of the markets. I'm not telling you to do that. Keep your stocks. Keep your bonds. But you have to get a gold IRA as part of your portfolio. Go to goldalliance.com slash jesse. That's goldalliance.com slash jesse. Protect that retirement. The first triumvirate was an odd mix. You had Super General Pompey, you had Mega Mega Rich Crassus, and you had Gaius Julius Caesar, and they all were different, and it should be noted, they were not big fans of each other, especially Pompey and Crassus. But Pompey needed certain things, and Crassus needed certain things, and Julius Caesar needed certain things, and they all kind of got together Because they all, while they didn't like each other, realized they had many shared enemies and they had many shared goals. And they said, wait a minute. A man needs friends in this world. Why don't we just get together? They get together. Eventually, Julius Caesar rises to the position of consul. Remember, that was basically the Roman president before Julius Caesar. But that's another story. (laughs) But his time as consul was coming to an end. 
And here was the problem Julius Caesar was facing. He had many, 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 many enemies. His enemies were going to drag him through the court system for his crimes he allegedly committed. I should probably take a side note here and say he undoubtedly committed them. Julius Caesar, while he's my favorite person, was not exactly squeaky clean. Probably committed these crimes, but that doesn't make the crimes that he was being accused of any less politically motivated. His political enemies were lining up to take him down once he was no longer consul. Why were they waiting then? Because the Romans had this law, and I still can't decide if I love it or hate it. They had this law. You could not be prosecuted for crimes while you were in office. As soon as you're done with office, it's on, though. So they'll just line up and wait. So Julius Caesar needed an office. His time as consul's up. What office is he going to get? He gets what's called a proconsulship. He gets named proconsul. And what you need to think of this as, he gets named governor. It's not governor. It's more like a general dictatorship. But he's governor of certain areas. You could be a proconsul here, a proconsul there. He gets named proconsul of Gaul. I don't want to nerd out or overwhelm you with information, but it's important that you realize Gaul is not all Gaul. Just the northern part of Italy. Like if you're cruising up Italy, you can picture that picture that boot. Before you get to the Alpines, you are going to get to what's called Cis Alpine Gaul. Don't worry about the name. Just know that that was considered Gaul too. But because they were so close to Rome, they were really Romanized and civilized. Then you cross the Alps and you get to the Trans Alpine Gaul. And they're also pretty Roman, not quite as Roman. But then you go from there up into the heart of France or Gaul. And they're getting more and more wild. Rome, by now, had a very good relationship with these people, with the, with the Gauls who were close to them. Caesar gets named proconsul of these areas. I'm here. I'm Caesar. I am not here to bug anybody. Yes, I have some legions with me. Yes, I happen to be a very, very ambitious man, but I'm not here to do anything. Now, this next part gets a little bit hairy. It gets a little controversial because it depends on who you believe. I have read quite a bit on it. I don't know how you can follow any different way. This next part is not Caesar's fault. Caesar gets approached and gets told by his Gallic friends, the other Gauls that are friends of his, that he's really kind of proconsul over Hey, there's this other Gallic Gallic tribe. They are packing up and they are moving our way. Uh, We don't want them here. Remember, I told you the Gauls didn't get along, and this is a huge tribe. I'm not even gonna I'm not even gonna tell you the name. I'm not. I know what I'm not gonna tell you. I've already told you too many. They're coming our way. What do we do? Caesar has been requested to go stop them. So Caesar, as is requested, he's proconsul, packs up his legions. Goes over, checks in with these guys. I'm not going to that whole fight today, but 
he beats the living crap out of them and sends them scurrying back home because he's Caesar. And there's an old saying in Rome. I forget who said it. It was one of these Romans or somebody said it. I think it was after the fact saying Rome conquered the world in self-defense. Caesar gets done slapping around this Gallic tribe. And another Gallic tribe that's under Caesar. They come to Caesar and they tell him, hey, hey, Caesar, um, there's these Germans. There's this super powerful German warlord in his tribe. They're giving us a lot of problems too, treating us like crap. Would you mind going up there and handling him too? And Caesar, as was requested of him, is now on the march again and goes, and this is another really cool campaign I'm not going to go into today, beats the crap out of these Germans and sends him scurrying home. This is all going very well. Oh, it was Livy? Oh, Livy said it. Livy was the guy who said Rome conquered the world in self-defense. Anyway, so Caesar now has saved these Gauls a couple times as requested, but he decides he's going to set up shop here. I like Gaul. You know what? I like this spot right here. Remember how you asked for my help a couple times? I think we're going to set up shop right here. Oh, you don't mind, right? Oh, you do mind. Well, I mean, if you mind too much, you should know what I'll do. I mean, you've already seen what I'll do, and it kind of goes that way. Caesar, hey, I'm just settling in. I did, And already these, quote, wars he's fought are being very, very, very hotly debated back in Rome. His enemies are already screaming, this is an illegal war because the Senate has not authorized these wars at all, and they had to back in Roman, Roman times. To which Caesar and his defenders, including me, would reply, I wasn't doing a war. I had it requested of me to go protect the people I'm proconsul of. That's not a war. I'm defending somebody. Now, did Caesar really defend them zealously? Yeah, yeah, probably. We're going to fast forward through a lot of Gallic fighting here. Just know this. Tensions go to a boiling point with the Gauls, even the friendly Gauls. Caesar conquers Gaul, he thinks. He then goes home for a little while. And when you're Caesar and you're ambitious, part of this is a part of this is a propaganda campaign as well. Propaganda is not the right word for it, but part of this is you want those newsletters coming out back at home where everybody can get up in the morning and read the morning paper. Oh, honey, did you see what Caesar did? Caesar's a celebrity now and a celebrity general, and the Romans love them some Caesar. And Caesar knows this, and Caesar, actually, we have Caesar's diaries. To this day, you can go read them. Caesar's penning his own diaries and sending them back home for publication. Hey, check out what I did today. Hey, look how well this went. Oh, we almost lost here, but I stepped up and did something really heroic. It was awesome. You should read about it in tomorrow's paper. That kind of thing. There's a lot of that. But Gaul, it turns out, was chafing under the Roman rule quite a bit. Again, these were wild, free people. And Gaul decides we have one chance and one chance only to cast these Romans out of Gaul. We must do the impossible and join together. And joining together, let's talk about that in just a second. <laughs> 
I say the joining together thing. You know, I'm a American Indian tribe homer, big time. And I'm not one of these uh, downtrodden tribal peoples homer. I'm not. I don't root for lots of them. I don't really care for many of the African tribes too much. Shaka Zulu's tribe was really cool. But I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm also not hugely familiar on them. I'm just not that big on them. The Afghanistan tribes to this day, eh, not that big on them. Maybe it's because I'm an American. I don't know what it is, but I'm an American Indian tribe fan. Always have been, always will be. The Gauls are about to band together. Something very, very, very few tribal peoples have ever brought themselves to be able to do. However, you're going to see how the story ends. One, two, it's one of the common things people will say about the American Indians. Oh, they should have banded together. Man, that's so easy to say. They hated each other so much and had been killing each other for so long. And they had different tribal structures. Band together under whom? I mean, you, you, even even the tribes themselves, like the Sioux, or well, which Sioux? There were like three major bands of Sioux, and even in the major bands of Sioux, the different tribes would have different chiefs, and this tribe's chief would not acknowledge your tribe's chief as being in charge. It's just, what I'm trying to get at is, it's easier said than done to just say they should have banded together. Maybe they should have. I would argue back to you, that would have been no guarantee of success either, as we're about to find out. But the Gallic tribes know Caesar is coming. Caesar is capable. They're, remember, these, Caesar is not, he's not an oddity to them by now. They very much know who they're dealing with, and they know this is going to be difficult. They know it so much, they do something that, I mean, there are few examples of this in history, as tribal peoples, and I keep saying tribal peoples, it's probably giving you a false sense of what the Gauls are. Yes, they're barbaric and they're tribal, but they have different traditions. Their nobles, their nobles have armor too. Their nobles have steel swords too. They're not just a bunch of people with painted blue faces and sticks in their hands. Now, they're not nearly as equipped as the Romans, and they don't have the armor, and most of their armies aren't put together that way. However, these people have, have some stuff, but they're so desperate, and they know they're in so much trouble, they decide they are going to band together, and they're going to band together under one man. Remember, armies is the reason we have a commander-in-chief, even here in America. Armies must be led by one man. 
You do not share command at any level in the military. When times are tough, the Romans would often do this too. When times are tough, you turn to one man. Then when times are done, you can disperse power again as you should. But in military times, one guy. Take over. Lead us. You decide. And they turn to a guy named Vercingetorix or Vercingetorix, depending on who you listen to or watch. Vercingetorix is a chief, a powerful chief. They turn to him and say, you lead us. You will be our warlord. We are all banding together under you. And Vercingetorix says, okay, burn your house down. Let's wrap our minds around that for a minute. That is what he told them to do. He said, we are only going to have a chance against Julius Caesar if you are willing to take that town of yours and burn it to the ground and burn your crops to the ground. These were, for the most part, not nomadic peoples. They had settled cities and societies. Imagine that. Imagine how dire the threat would have to be for you right now. Because it was as real to them as it would be for you right now. You go home, get the family out of the house, only one suitcase, whatever you can hit carry, and burn your house to the ground. In fact, the whole neighborhood, everyone has to do it. Come on, we're under attack, guys. It's got to be bad, doesn't it? I mean, the wolves have to be at the gates for you to do that. But... For the most part, they did it. And remember, they did it so Caesar would not be able to resupply himself up in Gaul. It's not as if these barbaric peoples all over the world were not aware of the logistical problems of feeding an army. They knew. They knew Caesar had to feed his army too. They knew the best way to feed an army if you're Julius Caesar is to sack one of these cities and take everything in it. They started burning down all their stuff until they got to a place. Well, you would know it today. It's Bourges, modern-day Bourges. They wouldn't burn theirs. Nope, we got a good place here. Nope, I'm not. we'll have to find a different way. And wouldn't you know it, Julius Caesar, who was almost out of supplies, lays siege to Bourges, which completely resupplies Caesar's army. This part always broke my heart. Vercingetorix's strategy was working. He knew what he was doing. It was working. Remember, Caesar has about fifty to 60,000 men at this time. Vercingetorix has about 80,000 Gauls. He decides after the siege of Bourges, okay, we have to maybe try to engage Caesar a little now. They've been avoiding him for the most part. They go up. They have a couple minor skirmishes, and he realizes this is just not going to work. And let's clarify why this is not going to work because this is going to come into play here in a little bit. We love ideas like toughness. I'm tougher than that guy. It's just mental toughness. And look, mental toughness is is great. It's important. Training and discipline wins wars. Training and discipline wins wars. You can be soft 
as chewed up bubble gum right now. And if I were to snatch you up and put you with a, a group of these Green Berets we have on the show all the time for a year, and you spent a year hiking, exercising, weapons training, shooting, 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 drill after drill after drill after drill after drill, you would be a super stud after a year because you'd be trained that way. And if you were a highly trained dude and you decided you're just going to spend the next 10 years drowning yourself in beer and donuts, you're not what you were anymore. There is trained and there is untrained. The Roman army was a training machine. They trained all the time. They had a full-time military, and they were dang proud of it. Training, communication, shields linked here, shields linked there. They would have, you know, a Roman phalanx. You can picture it. It wasn't like the old Greek ones. It was flexible. Oh, somebody's flanking us. Boom. One command. Now you have a line out there on that side. Now you're protected there. Oh, look, an individual from their tribe stepped out to try to show off. Boom. You have a command. Two Romans, not one. Two Romans. Step out from your line. Kill him. Step back instantly. Shields back up. It was a machine. That's why they routinely beat Armies where they were far, far, far outnumbered all across the ancient world. Command, go. Command, go. Hang on. Can Getterix realizes he does not want to tangle with the trained Roman army. Again, I outlined some of the training for the Romans. And you can admire it, and I do admire it. Understand that that training was enforced with a level of discipline you would not be comfortable with. You ever heard of decimation? Ever heard? You hear it in football all the time. We decimated them. Oh, we got decimated. Ah, gosh, it was a decimation. You know what decimation is? D-E-C, meaning 10th. A Roman unit commits some egregious error, retreats when they shouldn't, something like that. They would draw straws, for lack of a better way to put it, because they organized themselves in small units of 10, They would draw straws. The man who got the short straw would then be beaten to death by his other nine friends in the unit in front of everybody else. Not only beaten to death, beaten to death by friends who would lay down their lives for him. You followed orders in the Roman Legion, period. You were disciplined in the Roman Legion, period. 
or you feared what would happen to you more than what the enemy would do to you. Now, let's contrast that with the Gauls. And this, honestly, this is another one of those things. It is so funny how how it, how it spans the globe, this consistent theme. The Gauls were individuals. They fought for individual glory. And, I mean, they're more free peoples, right? It's a freer society. But... Just like the Indian tribes, they would do things to prop up the individual, to, to save their honor. Honor was a big thing. Oh, that's insulting to me. I'm going to ride out from the group, and I'm going to charge him. I must save my honor. Okay, now you're dead. The Indians had this for a while. With counting coup, it was called. Counting coup is this. The Indians decided, not wrongly, that it's easier to kill a man than it is to ride out to somebody who wants to kill you, touch him with a stick without killing him, and I do mean touch him, and then ride away. They call that counting coup. You just humiliated him. You're so weak, I rode out and touched you and didn't even kill you and rode away. It's a huge honor. Well, okay, enjoy the honor. Boom, now I just shot you off your horse. Thanks for not chopping me in the head with an axe and just touching me with a stick. The Gauls would charge when they weren't told to charge. They would retreat when they're not told to retreat. They would individually just lose their minds. Very courageous. The Romans all wrote about how courageous they were. It wasn't a cowardice thing or anything. They just didn't have the discipline. Discipline and training wins wars, period. Well, these Gauls do not want to tangle with the Romans anymore, so Verkin Getteritz takes his 80,000 Gauls, cavalry and infantry, and he rides them up to a place called Elysia. Now, you can, you know what? We're going to do this together. I'm going to see if you can Google image Elysia. Now, I've watched a documentary on this recently, so I know You can check this out visually. Let's just see if they'll give you a good idea of it. A-L-E-S-I-A. There's a couple drawings on there that actually are very helpful. Yeah, you know what? A Google image search would be very, very helpful. Ignore that stupid-looking one that has the fort on there. It's a gigantic plateau kind of shaped like an egg, a big oval-shaped plateau. You can see it. It still exists. If you would like, you can visit France and step foot on it to this day. Well, picture this. There was a town on top of that plateau with a fence, with a wall around it. And as you can imagine, that would be a really nice place to defend. We always make this mistake of picturing these old forts in old walled cities As some big, you know, it's on some big piece of flat ground with a stone wall around it. No, no, all these people, all the ancient peoples knew how to use natural formations to their advantage. There's nothing that beats a natural formation. You put your walls and fences up to improve on what's already there. Imagine how you could defend a place like that. Verkin Gedericks takes his 80,000 dudes, charges into that town, slams the door, and says, Whoo! 
here we go. Now we have a plan. And his plan is this. They know they have 30 days, roughly, of supplies to hold out. He does not think Caesar will be able to take that city. Which, I mean, he's pretty much right. Doesn't think Caesar will be able to take that city. He also doesn't think Caesar will be able to resupply his army because Caesar will have to be outside of the city walls. You essentially have to forage for stuff if you're Caesar. His plan is simply to wait him out. Caesar gets there. He takes a look at it, and he agrees with Vercingetorix. Well, we're not taking the city. We got to do something else. I've got an idea. Hang on. Wake up and text. Text and eat. Mm-mm. Text and catch the bus. Text and miss your stop. Wait, 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 wait. Text and be late to work. Sorry, I'm late. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. <clears throat> Who, me? Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. Ugh. Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Ugh. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. take this city well he needs to defeat the people in it he knows he doesn't i mean it's just not necessarily possible to go charging in there he understands what this is going to be this is now a siege and we're going to see who's going to starve to death first now i don't know if you can google image search this enough to see what i'm talking about but it wouldn't hurt to dig into it if you'd like you can do this during the break around that big oval Platform, plateau, there are surrounding hills that surround it. There's obviously a big valley around the plateau and surrounding hills. Caesar takes a look at these hills and thinks, well, I mean, if you're going to be on top, then I'm going to be on top. Tell you what I'm going to do. Hang on. Jesse Kelly returns next. 
This is The Jesse Kelly Show. That's a really good question, Chris. Chris just asked me before I came back on the air, whatever happened to Michael Avenatti? I genuinely do not know. I think he's in jail. He might be in jail. Look at Bob. I bet you he's in jail. A guy like that. Look, I'm going to get back to this story in just a second. Chris distracted me. A guy like that, believe it or not, I actually was pretty merciful while he was losing his mind on TV every day because I can spot this stuff a mile away. As you know, I'm a man of many skills. And in all seriousness, though, I'm a man of very few skills. But one of them is I can spot trouble a mile away. I have, there's a reason all my friends used to get busted getting, used to get busted at parties, used to get busted doing this and busted doing that. And I have made so many stupid decisions in my life, and my record is pretty squeaky clean because I always knew. This is going to be trouble. I'm going to duck out right about now. And it was always about 20 minutes before the cops showed up. And I spot it in people a mile away. Friends, but pre-wife, girlfriends, co-workers, whatever the case may be, I spot crazy. I spot high maintenance. All I have to do is get a whiff of it. I'm gone. Peace has saved me a lot of trouble in this life. And it always ends the way I think it's going to end. Michael Avenatti, from the first moment I saw that guy on television, I said, that guy is going to end up hanging himself in a hotel room one day or end up in prison. There's nothing there but trouble. That's a dude with problems. Oh, yeah, I called that one, too. Oh, he's currently under house arrest. There you go, Chris. All right, back to my story. Caesar decides, and it, it is amazing. I almost want you to go look up a drawing of this when our story's done today. So you have the city all walled in on top. Caesar takes the hills all around the city and builds an 11-mile continuous wall All around that, along the hills, he encircles the city. Now, and this will come into play here in a few, there is one gap in the corner of Caesar's Wall. It's where this big hill is. He couldn't construct it there. But when I say wall, you need to understand there's a huge, huge earth rampart where it made up a lot of the fence and then a wooden fence on top of it. And then he had 23, 23 readouts, essentially big towers where his men could stand and shoot things on top of that. He had ditches built in front of the wall so they couldn't cavalry charge it, multiple ditches. He had booby traps, tiny pits with little stakes inside of them that used to drive the Gauls crazy because, again, the Gauls weren't disciplined. They just go charging out there and get yourself killed. He had his Roman artillery set up. They're called scorpions. Picture a gigantic crossbow. And they had catapults, too. 
And these things used to scare the gulls to death who'd never seen anything like this in their lives. They'd fire these obviously high-speed projectiles. Sometimes they're sticks, arrows, rocks, whatever the case may be. But if you're a Gallic warrior and your whole life's been fought, you know, you're fighting spear to spear, and all of a sudden you're 100 meters from somebody and your buddy's head gets removed from his body by a rock that got shot by something, that's something like you've never heard of before. He builds a wall around it and just says, okay, well, now you're really boxed in and you can't get out. This is a problem for Verkin Gedericks because Caesar is finding ways to resupply his guys. And Verkin Gedericks is in this city, remember, not just with his 80,000 men, with the civilians who were there. He tries to break out with his cavalry a couple times, fails. And then, and this has got to be, uh, this moment I am fascinated by. Fascinated slash horrified. I, I just, it almost doesn't seem real, but it happened. Verkin Gedericks gathers all the non-combatants in the city. And you know what that means, right? All the old people. The women, the children, he gathers them up and sends them out of the city toward the Romans so they don't eat up any more of the food that the warriors need to survive. And he sends them over to the Romans thinking he's being slick, thinking the Romans will take them in as slaves and then have to feed them. Well, you're not going to outmaneuver Julius Caesar. Julius Caesar says, oh, no, I don't think we will take them in. Turn around and go back to the city, all of you. They turn around, go back to the city. Verkin Gedrix won't let them back in. All the non-combatants starved to death in the no-man's land between the city and Caesar's wall on the outside. And the reason this fascinates me, I don't want to get too dark, but the reason this fascinates me is not necessarily for the Romans. I, I would assume there are plenty of Romans with a heart who don't necessarily enjoy watching women and children suffer, but at least these people aren't Romans. To the Romans, they're they would be beneath them anyway. But the men in the city, the Gauls in the city, those are your people. What is going through your head watching and listening to your people, the innocent people amongst you, dying like that? What's going through your head? And you know that's not quiet, right? That's children begging Women begging, help us, at least take my baby. He's dying and saying no. I mean, that has to be, that has to be unbearable. I can't believe, I cannot believe the Gauls didn't break and let them back in. I I can't believe it. Maybe it was just simply, you let them back in, we're all going to starve to death tomorrow. I, I don't know what it was, but, and that's terrible. Well, 
women or children or not, the Gauls are now in trouble because Caesar's just not starving to death. Vercingetorix gets word out. He gets it out of the city that they need help now. He sends it to all the surrounding Gallic tribes and says, the bad news is we're under siege. The good news is Caesar is here. His entire army is here. If you come now, we can defeat Rome once and for all and be free again. And the Gauls answer the call. 250,000 Gauls gather together and begin marching towards Caesar and his 50 to 60,000 men. What are you going to do if you're Caesar? Well, there's a reason you're Julius Caesar. Caesar comes up with a plan. Do you remember the 11-mile wall boxing in Elysia? Elysia? Caesar decides he's going to build another wall outside of that wall as an outside ring to guard against the 250,000 Gauls who are coming to relieve it. That's right. He's building a double ring around the city. Hang on. Jesse Kelly. You're never completely ready to adopt a teen. For late nights writing English papers. For your teen's music taste. For dinners, where they talk more on their phone than with you. For the first time, they call you mom. You're never completely ready to adopt a teen, and you can't imagine the reward. To learn more about adopting a teen, Visit AdoptUSKids.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt US Kids, and the Ad Council. Part-time job, full-time hustle, all-time Shiro to all of us. You nurture, we listen. You teach, we thrive. You lift our spirits, but we've got to lay down the truth. It's time for you, our Shiro, to stretch for the stars. Start saving more for retirement now so you can feel prepared and live your life to the fullest. Get free tips to help boost your retirement savings now at aceyourretirement.org slash Shiro. A message brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Caesar actually constructs this second wall. It is amazing they had the know-how to do things like this. The Roman engineering was just amazing. So he does. He boxes himself in a second time, an outer ring to protect from the forces from the outside. Now, the Gauls, 250,000 of them, show up. And... Back to what we were talking about, about training and discipline. 
the Gauls just simply could not get themselves organized. Varrican Gedericks, to his credit, was one of the only who ever did it. These 250,000 showed up, but they're not a 250,000-man cohesive unit with this guy in charge of this and these subcommanders under here. It's 250,000 guys, different tribes, different bands, different commanders. And they can't seem to organize attacks at the same time. They think, well, we are 250,000 guys. He's 50 or 60,000 guys. And in their world, I guess in their defense, everything they've ever known says, well, we're about to win. Let's get it done because numbers get it done. It doesn't work that way against the Roman training and discipline and, and frankly, the Roman engineering. That's part of the reason Romans were able to beat these superior numbers all the time. I'll take my 60,000 dudes and my scorpions and my walls and my ditches over your 250 all day long. Have fun. Come on down. And so they would try to swarm the Romans at different times. And they would get slaughtered. And not only that, it's hard. Now, this is hard, especially pre-radio, obviously, cell phone days. Ideally, in this situation, you would coordinate with the Gauls inside of the city so you could both attack at the same time, thus putting extra stress on the Romans, make the Romans defend both walls at once. They couldn't even do that. The guys on the outside would swarm in. And then the guys in the city would get ready to get fired up and get ready to come out. And then the guys on the outside would already be defeated by the time the ones on the inside tried to charge out. And over and over and over again. And Caesar's not losing. And there were a couple very close battles. Remember that hill I told you that was very undefended? I mean, as it, it, he couldn't build the wall there. Well, the, the 250,000-man Gallic force realized it, too. They know this country very well. They send a huge unit up there. Apparently, the Romans were taking it on the chin. Caesar himself, very famously, throws on his red cloak. I mean, stuck, I mean you might as well wear a neon sign. Throws on his red cloak and leads the charge outside of the fort to swarm around behind the Gauls. His men see Caesar is there putting his life on the line right next to them. That matters a lot to the men in combat. They defeat the Gauls at that hill. That was really the moment where the Gauls lost it. After that, the Gauls, they start to go hungry. And that 250,000-man army, remember, different leaders, different tribes, you wake up one morning and it's it's 2:20 now. And you wake up the next morning and it's it's 195. And the next morning it's 180 and then you see how this goes, right? They may hate the Romans. They're not going to stay there and starve to death because there's no way on earth Gauls possess the logistical know-how to feed 250,000 men, and Julius Caesar knew it. Let's just wait. Those 250,000 guys look really great on paper. Generals to this day will make that mistake. Looks really good on paper. 
Those men look really good. Men need food. Men need water. Those tanks. Woo! Look at all these tanks. How much gas do you have? Mm, we need these attack helicopters. Oh, yeah, baby. How much ammo do you have for the cannons? These are the things that win and lose wars. 250,000 Gauls coming to relieve Vercingetorix at the siege of Elysia. They disappear into the mist. Vercingetorix knows it is over. In an attempt to save his people, admirably, I should say, man acquitted himself well to this day. I think at this site, there's still a statue of Varrican Gedrix. I believe it's at this site or close to this site. And if I'm not mistaken, I think Napoleon actually had this statue built. I could be wrong about that. But to his credit, Varrican Gedrix rides up to Julius Caesar, surrenders himself and his sword. Now, I would love to tell you that Julius Caesar welcomes him in with open arms. Pick up your sword. No, 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 no. We are equals here. That's to please. It was an honorable fight. Go back home to your wife and your kids. I'll send you a Christmas card this year. Romans didn't do war like that. Romans did total war at all times. And you can... Talk about the cruelty of total war. And it is uh, it is very cruel. Make no mistake about it. And you can talk about maybe the immorality of it. Okay, I'm, I'm not going to argue about that either. But let's take a step back from a macro level. How long did your favorite empire last? Romans understood very well if there is something that needs to be removed, you remove it all the way. There's nothing more overrated in this life than half measures. If something needs to be done, you do it and you do it all the way. King Gedrix, he was thrown into a Roman dungeon until the time came for Julius Caesar's triumph through the Roman streets where he had him chained and paraded through town. I believe this was six years later. I don't want to act like this was six weeks. This man lived a life of, whew, it was rough, six years later. Now, he would have been under strict orders from Julius Caesar to keep him alive so I'm actually sure he was well-fed and medically cared for, but he was not living pleasantly. And then after Julius Caesar's triumph, they took him down to the dungeon below the city and had him ritually strangled to death. That's an ugly end to a really cool story. The Gauls were pacified. However, let's go back to what we were talking about. Half measures. Doing things nicely. I hear a lot of screaming today about this ACB appointment to the Supreme Court. And you know what I'm seeing some on my side, on the right, I'm seeing some of this. Wow. 
maybe we I mean look we don't want we don't want judges on the right. I don't want her to judge from the right. I want her just to be a, a constitutionalist and things like that. Stop lying. Stop lying to yourself and others. I want her to be a meat-eating, leftist-crushing super assassin. I want total victory. he often does mr daniel turner with power the future daniel joe biden he's not gonna ban fracking (laughs) or he is gonna ban fracking but he's not and he is please clarify please i'm so i'm so lost now hang on what day is today (laughs) (laughs) no in all seriousness i realize he's trying to dance this dance but yeah. he very clearly is going that direction because his party is going to make him go that direction, that direction, right? No, you're absolutely right. And, and I think that's what people are ignoring. And his campaign is saying, no, he misspoke. I mean, it's, it's, that's a big misspeak. But no, he misspoke, and they're trying to walk it back. But you're absolutely right, which is not surprising because you are the great Jesse Kelly. Um, they will make him ban fracking. Joe Biden really doesn't have any policies of his own. Joe Biden is the perfect Manchurian candidate, right? He he will just do as he's told. He will dance to whatever tune uh, they play for him. And banning fracking is very much within their wheelhouse. It, it shows you the the real sadness of our of our feckless and useless media that we have two years of him and Kamala on tape saying they will ban fracking. The sudden flip flop, and the media just says, "Oh, okay, he changed his mind," as if it's that simple. Now, how big is it in Pennsylvania? Obviously, everybody on the right wants it to be huge because we want to hang this around Joe Biden's neck and we want to win Pennsylvania, understandably so. But I don't want to overstate what the facts on the ground are. Fracking, oil, how big are these industries for Pennsylvania? And if I can just plug my organization for one Mm -hmm. quick second. We at Power Power the Future did a study comparing Pennsylvania to its neighbor in uh, New York, which is my home state. Um, on regard with regards to the fracking issue, because Governor Cuomo, in his wisdom, his infinite wisdom, he banned fracking a good, you know, ten years ago, a statewide moratorium. Pennsylvania did not, and so we looked at the last ten years, job creation, um, the utility prices statewide, uh, air quality, uh, real estate value, and Pennsylvania is crushing. New York. And it's sad. You literally drive 10 miles to the north if you're in those northern Pennsylvania counties. You cross the border and New York is depressed. Its uh, its unemployment is through the roof. It's the exact same shale formation, but New York has banned fracking and Pennsylvania hasn't. And I've said this before on your show, Jesse, and I say it over and over again. If there were all of these communities suffering because of fracking, AOC says fracking is bad. It's poisoning people. 
if there was one nine-year-old girl who was poisoned from fracking, you know damn well CNN would be there every single day talking to her distraught mother. Just show me one of these people who was poisoned from fracking. Just show me one town where everyone is dying because of fracking. So they have to say these vagaries. Fracking is bad, but they can't ever point to evidence that it is. In fact, the evidence says fracking is friggin' Awesome. How many people actually believe it, Daniel? I, I, I don't because I'm not in. I, obviously, I'm in Texas, and look, I understand I'm a barbarian. I want coal plants along the rivers. I, I, that's that's mm-hmm. how bad I am. I I want the robber baron era again. So yeah. I know I'm terrible. But do people genuinely dislike fracking, or is that just a Democrat based thing? No, I think they sadly do, and I think for two reasons. One, the left has always ahead in the culture wars. Anyone who doesn't follow Jesse Kelly on Twitter is missing out because you talk often about that. And the culture wars, when was that awful movie with Jim from The Office and Matt Damon, and it was all about fracking in towns and they were all dying, right? It was uh, was it Gasland, I think it was called. I mean, that was a good 10, 12 years ago they made this film. So for one reason, the left has always pushed the narrative that fracking is bad, and it's part of the culture. Young people right now think fracking is banned because, they, because they're stupid. Um, and the second reason is, and this is my industry, and I feel bad saying it, I think the energy industry has done a terrible job defending itself. One of the reasons why I started this organization is because I said, you all need some help because you don't know how to fight. And I think the energy industry has been accustomed to just taking it on the chin, and they need to fight back. All right. Why are they so bad at it? Because, and this is what I see now, maybe I only see this because I'm so biased, but I see the energy industry giving ground on the green crap. I see the energy industry talking about carbon emissions and things like that, and my jaw hits the ground every time. Talk about selling the rope that's going to hang you one day. Yeah. Uh, that's what I see. How these are these are really smart people who run these industries. How are they not smart enough to see that? What's happening? Exactly. You know, I, I gave a, a lecture once, uh, well, a talk. I won't say a lecture. Lectures for smart people. I gave a talk um, at an energy conference, and I had a very nasty exchange with a fairly prominent and rich uh, oil executive when he talked about how many jobs, uh, you know, moved from coal to natural gas. Because I was blasting the fact that we watched coal get destroyed and no one stood up for coal. And he was like, and you haven't said a damn thing about the amount of jobs we created because we shut down coal. And I said, sir, you don't think they're coming for you next? Like, you stand on the sidelines and watch coal get beat up for a decade and you think you're safe? I mean, there's that Churchill line of an appeaser as one who feeds the crocodile hoping to be eaten last. Right. So that is why I think there's a lot of people who said, hey, cold loss is our gain, not realizing that when you give money to Greenpeace to destroy coal, Greenpeace is not going to be content with destroying coal. They're going to come for you next. Look at our beloved George W. Bush. I worked for him for a for a term. Right. I'll always be a fan of his personally. But look at the deal he made with Ted Kennedy on education. Mm. Right? There's no child left behind. The right always believes if we make friends with our enemy, our enemy will leave us alone. And in fact, we give our enemy money and power to destroy us. And we have to stop making friends with these people. We have to destroy them. Amen. All right, Daniel, 
I, I we probably talk, and I'm guilty of this too. Look, you and I just did it for eight minutes on the radio of talking way too much about Joe Biden and not enough about Kamala Harris because Joe Biden is not going to be president for four years if he wins. What's the Kamala Harris stance on all this? <laughs> Funny laughter. <laughs> just really weird laughter. <laughs> That's all she does. <laughs> it's and then true. she says, and, and then she says, let's have a conversation about that. When she doesn't want to answer a question, she says, I think, I think we should have a conversation on that. <laughs> and then she laughs again. That is Kamala Harris in a nutshell, which means she's hiding something. And she is hiding the fact that she, she is a hardcore radical leftist. And, uh, you know, she's hiding the fact that she is also not culturally American. She grew up in Canada. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. I think they're nice people to the north. But she left New York at seven or eight and lived in Canada basically through her college years, right? So she, she culturally is, is not an, an American. She value-wise clearly is not an American. She's a hardcore progressive. And what's she going to do? You know, she's going she's gonna to continue the legacy of Barack Obama, which went after coal, um, and she'll go after now oil and, and natural gas, um, and not from any principled position, from a purely political position and she will watch it all burn down and that's you know we're I'm, I'm amazed that we were able to recover so well from the Obama the Obama destruction era um the Kamala one could be the nail in the coffin but I, I'm, I'm not super optimistic if Kamala Harris wins that America will prevail give me a give me election breakdown Daniel I'm not sure if you're going to be on again before it who wins who loses <laughs> give it to me right between the eyes a hundred percent that Joe um, that that sorry let me rephrase that a hundred percent that Donald Trump will win fifty fifty chance that he is the one inaugurated. I am confident he will win, and I am confident election day he will declare himself the winner. I am confident that in very big swing states controlled by Democrats, Michigan, Wisconsin, Minnesota, Pennsylvania, Virginia, they will gradually find ballots. They already have the ballots planted all across the state. He will win Pennsylvania by 120,000 votes on Tuesday, and then they'll discover more ballots, and they'll discover more ballots, and all through November, state by state will flip. That's what's going to happen. Daniel Turner, Power of the Future. Thank you, my friend. We have it recorded. See you, bud. Hang on. Follow, like, and subscribe on social at Jesse Kelly Show. You work hard for your money, and you set money aside, and you invest money, and all that stuff is good. I'm not telling you to stop. I would never tell you to stop. However, you need to backstop yourself against loss. You just do. Look, it's a saying as old as time. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. With an election like this coming up, and deficits like this, and money printing like this. You have to have that backstop. We know that bubble's going to burst. That's what's crazy. You cannot find a single financial person who won't tell you something like, well, there's going to be a a market correction here at some point. They'll all use that word because they don't want to panic you either. There's going to be. So get a gold IRA. It's part of your portfolio. You worked hard for that money. Go to goldalliance.com slash jesse. 
That's goldalliance.com slash jesse. Go and go today. A struggling bar owner in a Biden ad also happened to be an angel investor, and then the ad disappeared. <laughs> what have I told you? What have I told you time and time and time and time again? And you're going to need to remember this forever. None of what you see is real. None of it. It's all produced and manipulated and angled. Everything out there is designed to lie to you. That's not some gigantic conspiracy theory. It's because leftists have won the culture war. And when you own a culture, you are able to create entire realities out of nothing. Out of absolutely nothing. And... You're able to mask the truth and make it a lie. There are endless examples of this now. The truth is whatever the left decides it is. Period. Period. If they want you to believe the sky is green, you think you'd never believe it. I'm never going to believe that. That's so stupid. Until all of a sudden, there are scientists all over TV saying it's actually green. And there are are doctors, there are optical doctors saying your eyes have been playing tricks on you. It's actually green. And soon there's a movie out about why the sky is actually green. You have corporate America running weird ads about the sky being green. You have musicians singing about the sky being green. Celebrities doing PSAs online about the sky being green. You have your preschool teacher, your elementary school teacher, your high school teacher, and your college professor telling you about the sky being green. You have your leftist friends on Facebook and soon people on the right, too, sharing memes and various things with you about the sky being green. The sky is green. The sky is green. Have you heard the sky is green? Soon? Without very much time at all? You either believe 100% that the sky is green or you're so worried about being a social pariah by saying what you obviously can see with your own eyes and that's that the sky is blue that you just shut up about it. That's why culture is all that matters. The truth is whatever the left decides it is. Period. End of story. Violence tears through West Philly after police shoot and kill a man. 30 officers hurt. This is from NBC Philadelphia. I have seen the video online of cops, two of them, in the road. The entire video is available. A large black dude with a knife in his hands. Cops repeatedly shouting orders, get down, drop the knife, get down, get down, get down. 
finally charges at him. Everybody can see it. It's in the middle of the street. They gun the man down and kill him. We now have 30 officers hurt, some hospitalized, looting, vandalizing, footlocker, of course, and a bunch of other places, Rite Aid and others being torn apart. Why? Why? Why is that happening? Because when the entire culture tells the poor urban black community that the cops are the problem, the cops are the problem. Have you heard the cops are the problem? You even had the GOP doing it. Tim Scott has a federal police reform bill. John Cornyn right here in Texas. Oh, uh, oh, man, the Black Lives Matter people are mad. We should make Juneteenth the national holiday. Now's the time. That'll make everything better. Uh, and the cops are definitely the problem. The cops are the problem. The actors have a problem with the cops. The athletes have a problem with the cops. The musicians, the Democratic party corporations my son turns on his video games and there it is black lives matter cops are the problem soon people believe that now the truth doesn't matter at all what actually happened here doesn't matter at all truth is gone do you remember the rioting in kenosha wisconsin people it's been lost people don't even remember how that began That began with a felony warrant arrest for a dude. The cops show up to arrest the dude. He is not only brandishing a knife, he is is disobeying police officers. They have tased him. They have tried everything to stop him from moving. Finally, he's charging to the car to grab something out of the car. Cops do the only thing left in their power and gun the man down. And then the sex offender gets made into a national hero. Drew Brees, quarterback for the New Orleans Saints, is wearing Jacob Blake's name on his helmet. Because there is no truth anymore. None of it matters. When the leftists own the culture, the truth is whatever they say it is. And that's why you don't lose the culture war. Because the truth is whatever they say it is. You know who decides what the laws are in Gaul? Whoever wins between Julius Caesar and Vercingetorix, that's who decides what the law is. Wake up and text. Text and eat. Text and catch the bus. Text and miss your stop. Wait, 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 wait. Text and be late to work. Sorry, I'm late. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. Who, me? Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Ugh. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council.
not lose the culture war. Culture wars have casualties. Go look at that video of the souped up, jacked up black pickup truck mowing down a line of police officers in Philadelphia last night. Think about David Dorn, the police veteran in St. Louis who was mowed down by a bunch of gangbangers while he was trying to protect the shop. Think about Kyle Rittenhouse on trial for murder. Culture wars have lots and lots of casualties. You do not want to be on the losing end of one. Remember that the next time some invertebrate in the GOP tells you, this isn't the hill to die on. Believe me, you want to stop giving inches and start taking them back. Jesse Kelly Show. This is the Jesse Kelly Show. Fighting cock kills police chief in Philippine raid. Be mature as I discuss the article, Chris. A Philippine police officer was killed during a raid on an illegal cockfight after a rooster's blade sliced his femoral artery, an official said Tuesday. Femoral artery is not in your neck, you idiot. It's in your leg. Cockfighting is a popular blood sport in the archipelago. Chris, what's the archipelago? Look up that word for me. I've heard of Gulag Archipelago. Look up that word for me. Where the money is bet on the outcome of a fight, often to the death between two colorful birds with bladed spurs. It has been banned along with other sporting and cultural events during the coronavirus pandemic. That's hilarious. It was legal, but during coronavirus, they're like, whoa, to prevent large crowds from gathering and spreading the contagion. Monday's freak accident in the central province of northern Samar happened when Lieutenant Christian Bullock picked up a fighting cock as he quit, quit, as he gathered evidence of the unlawful event. Its blade struck his left thigh and he bled to death. Good grief. All right, let's just get it out right now. First of all, 877-377-4373. 877-377-4373. Keep in mind, we are still, I'm getting all your phone screener emails. Keep sending them. I'll probably do the last day today or tomorrow. Send an email with the fudge, with the subject line phone screener. 
If it does not have that subject line in it, it will not be considered. It's a very simple instruction. If you can't do that, you certainly can't be my phone screener. Send me an email saying you're interested in the position, whatnot. Someone will get with you. Phone screener Mitchell's moving on. However, phone screener Mitchell was still here. 877-377-4373. Email address is jesse at jessekellyshow.com. Question. Chris, be honest. Would you go to a cockfight? You would, wouldn't you? I, I totally would go, 100%. Is that bad? The fines aren't even that bad. I know they're illegal in Houston. You remember that time we did that? It was hilarious. We were discussing cockfighting on the show, and I know the chief of police here in Houston, so I sent him a message, and I said, hey, chief, uh, how illegal is this? And he was like, it's very illegal. Do not go to the cockfights, please. And I said, right, 10-4, I would never. I'm just asking for information purposes, obviously. But I want to go. Aren't they legal in New Mexico? I think this is a U.S. state where, where uh, fighting cocks are legal. I'm all, Dude, I'm almost – if they're not legal in New Mexico, I know they were. There's a state or two, or at least there was, where cockfighting was legal. I don't understand why people get so mad about this. See, it's such an animal rights society now. You're fine with boxing and MMA. I mean, granted, they're not fighting to the death, but let's be honest. It's a freaking rooster here. It's not a human being. It has a brain the size of a pea. I just want to see one. I'm not saying I want to live there. I want to see one. Maybe gamble a little. What, Chris? As of 2001, Chris says it was legal in Louisiana, Oklahoma, and Mexico. I mean, of course, Louisiana. Everything's legal in Louisiana. Everything is legal in Louisiana. They just don't care. I mean, I realize they have quote-unquote laws, but even that stuff doesn't get enforced. Louisiana is such a cool, wild state, and I don't know why that is. There's a real... It's got a cool culture over there. Remember, we because you listen to my show, you know some of the history over there. You know, France had it, then Spain has it, then French has it, then America has it, and we're just there's this huge mix of culture. The food is so good. The weather's just dog crap, just swampy, national, just horrible. Hurricanes every other week. Alligators. Oh, there's another one coming, Chris. Of course, there's another one coming. They they don't even bat an eye over there anymore. They have their own hurricane force called the Cajun Navy. And to their credit, Houston floods, they just throw the Cajun Navy on the back of their trucks and they cruised on over here and helped out. Yeah, we're fine. Look, we do this for a living basically now. We just cruise around. Louisiana, the food is amazing. The the It's probably, with the exception of maybe Illinois and New York, it's probably the most corrupt state in the entire United States of America. Go look at the amount of Louisiana politicians that are doing time. And everyone over there understands it's that way, and they don't even care that much. Oh, yeah. Yeah, our mayor got busted. I was taking some money. It's no big deal. I'm sure the new guy is, too. They assume their guy is taking money. Was doing Who was the mayor was doing crack with the hooker? That was uh, Marion Barry in D.C. And then gets out of prison for it and gets reelected. That's right. Look, there is no ability 
like relatability. There just is not. There is not. There is no. That's why so many that you see all the political ads now. It's all that's on TV. And what are each and every one of these political ads? I'm just like you, Chris. Pull up the Gil Fulbright one right now. I think it's Gil Fulbright. It's so true. Pull up Gil Fulbright and pull up Clint Webb again. We're playing them once again on the show. We're doing this impromptu. It's hilarious because it's every political ad ever. Hi, I'm Gil Fulbright. The people that run my campaign, they've made this commercial, and I'm in it. This campaign, it's not about me. It's about crafting a version of me that'll appeal to you. A version that visits random work sites with paid actors pointing at things. A version of me that doesn't find old people loathsome or pointless. Has a conventionally attractive yet curiously still family. Listening to my constituents, legislating, these are things I don't do. What I do is spend about 70% of my time raising funds for re-election. I'd do anything to stay in office. My name's Gil Fulbright, but hell, I'll change my name to Phil Goldbright or Bill Fulbright or fill up my mouth with farts. These are the things that are important to me. And these are the fine people that finance my campaign. Now, in order to do these things, I have to stay in office. And to stay in office, I have to keep these guys happy. Now, if any of these things make these guys unhappy, well, my hands are tied. So come November, the choice is clear. Do you want another spineless mouthpiece for special interest in lobbyists? Or a spineless mouthpiece for special interest in lobbyists? I'm Philip Amalth with Farts, and I approve this message. That was an ad from, or obviously a parody ad from Represent Us. I don't think I have time to do the Clint Webb ab before break, so I will play it for you back. But it is, we were remarking on it last night. My kids are old enough now to pick up on it. And I uh, forget what we were watching. Oh, it was, of course, it was a history documentary. I know you're going to be blown away about that. The whole family now is in open rebellion against me for the things that I watch. I now get, because now the kids are old enough to give me attitude about that stuff. Not important stuff. They know that wouldn't fly around me. But but that kind of stuff. It's First, the wife will be like, are we really watching this? I'm like, yes, it's only it's like 20 minutes left. Let, let me finish. Oh, I should note, one of the ones I was watching last night was actually on Elysia. If you have Amazon Prime, just look up. Oh, shoot. What did I look up? I think I looked up Elysia, and there was a series on sieges. I haven't seen it all. I don't know. And let me let me clarify. You have to be a history dork to enjoy this. It's not like the production value is the best you've ever seen. It's a bunch of foreign people being interviewed, so a lot of it's subtitled. Like, you really have to be a dork for this stuff. But, I mean... I learned even more than I already knew about Alicia. I thought it was good. The family, not so much. Hang on. Jesse Kelly. You're listening to The Jesse Kelly Show. One in three adults has prediabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy. 
Or you, your best man, your worst man. <gasps> you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has prediabetes, with early diagnosis, prediabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has prediabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. Maybe you all should avoid that history documentary series on sieges. Now that I think about it, it was pretty nerdy, and it's going to be really slow. And the problem is now I've recommended it, and I'm going to have 10 emails tomorrow morning, Chris, of people yelling at me. This was brutal. My wife flat out stormed out. She's like, are you really watching this? I'm like, yes, I have to. She leaves, goes to the bedroom. My oldest is like, come on, Dad, really? And he takes off too. <laughs> My youngest hung in there with me for a little while, though. And you could tell, you could tell he was just toughing it out. Anyway, whenever we watch something with the kids, even they're remarking on it now. And we haven't done heavy politics ever with the kids. It's just not something I do. They're like, gosh, every commercial is a political commercial now. It's absolutely brutal. And we're getting to the point now. My youngest especially, he's starting to figure out big time that we are – not Democrats at all. And he's starting to do that thing that young boys do where they get a little mouthy with other kids in their school about it. And I have, I've now had to put my foot down and tell him there's no more of that. And this is the reason why I don't care if he starts learning about politics and stuff. I just haven't been big. I don't care if he starts learning, but we are in the suburbs of Texas. Um, like everybody's a Republican here. Where I live, it's it's. I bet you it's 80%. That's not an exaggeration. It is Republicans. Why we move there. I, and let me tell you something. Life is better when you live, work, and worship around people who think like you. It just It's better. People share your values. They share your manners. They share your outlook on life. However, it also means my son and his, what he thinks his political views are. He doesn't even know why yet. He's copying what he hears from home. And I'm trying not to like push that on him, but he, he, he hears enough. I'm discussing it openly with the wife and such. Now what he's doing is he's bullying. He's not trying to bully, but okay. Yeah. Good job. You and your buddies were making fun of the other kid because he, he loves Biden or something. Yeah, it's 10 on one. Good job, buddy. That's why I yelled at him. Don't do that again. I'm fine if you want to do the kid thing. I love Trump. I love Biden, whatever, all that stuff. So, and don't get me wrong. They weren't mean-spirited about it. He's not a mean kid at all. It's not like he would. He weren't mean-spirited about it. I just don't want him to ever be bullies. But now he's he knows just enough for his mouth to get himself in trouble. That's what he knows. That's what he knows. And now I'm at this point where I'm struggling as a parent. 
which direction do I go with him? You know, do I go with I do I go with the hey, stop talking about politics altogether. There will be time for that. You, you know, you just gain your political beliefs over your life. I will tell you, my parents pretty much never, ever, ever discussed politics with me at all. I can remember one conversation in my entire childhood with my parents about politics, and I swear I was in kindergarten. I asked my father, Dad, are we Democrats or Republicans? And he looked at me and says, we're Republicans. And that was the only thing, that was like the only time we've ever talked. I said, okay, well, that okay. But after that, it was just my political views developed myself over time. And so I wanted that for my kids. But because of what I do for a living, it comes up. Not only that, I'll do radio interviews or TV interviews from home, like where you Skype them in. Well, my kids aren't deaf. They can hear me, and you can imagine the things I'm saying on the radio, on TV. They're not deaf. They're listening. Kids are sponging up everything you're saying and doing. He's developing it off of me. So I can either try to back him away from it, which I think would frankly be fruitless, or I could just kind of go all in and just teach him. This is what we believe. This is why we believe it. This is why small government's important. This is why I believe this. This is why I believe that. But I'm not trying to radicalize the kid. Here's my concern. Here's my concern, to be honest with you. 877-377-4373. 877-377-4373. Here's my concern. My concern is I see these leftists all over the place, and I know you've seen them too. They're especially all over social media who have made their kids miserable. And man, I never want that for my kids. Uh, I just talked to my eight-year-old daughter this morning, and she was so hysterical about Trump getting reelected, she couldn't even go to school. Wait, wait, what? Let your kid be a kid, man. Your kid should be talking about baseball and video games and cowboys and Indians and, and, and his dog and let your kid be a kid. And I'm, I don't want to ever do that to him. I guess that's my point. Ooh, we have the Clint Webb ad. This is, this is, I've played it for you a thousand times. I'm never going to stop playing it for you. It's from the comedy group, whitest kids, you know, they made a parody and it is without question, the most accurate parody in the history of parodies Here's their political ad. Hi, I'm Clint Webb, and I'm running for Senate. I have a short cropped haircut, a pretty enough yet accessible looking wife, and a newborn baby that I've dressed in a suit to prove to you that I mean business. For the last 15 years, I've lived my life in such a bland, uncontroversial, and repressed manner that it's almost unnatural. Why? Because I've been preparing to be your representative since I was a child. Most well-adjusted sane men would be hesitant to take a job where their decisions would so drastically affect the lives of so many. But not me. I possess a sort of sociopathic narcissism that makes me think that I should be in charge of everyone. But all of that needs to start here at home, in this beautiful state that I've grown to love since I moved here 18 months ago. Together, we can piggyback some of our state's legitimate needs onto my unquenchable lust for self-glorification. And that's a promise. Here's an unflattering picture of my opponent. Here's a quote of his taken out of context. Oh, and one more thing. I have a dog. 
I enlisted in the military for the minimum amount of time in a position that would never see combat. Why? Well, because it would help me be your senator. I don't make friends. I make acquaintances. All of my motives are ulterior. I'm self-involved to the point of psychosis. My soul is terrifying. And that's leadership. So this November, let's send Washington a message. And what is that message? Hey. Me. I'm self-involved to the point of psychosis. Gosh, that's so freaking hilarious. Every part of it is so hilarious. I enlisted into the military for the minimum amount of time in a position that would never see combat. Why? Because it would help me be your senator. It's so true. So many of these guys and girls do this now. It's so true. And you'll have the picture of them. Squeaky clean uniform somewhere. You can't tell where. Oh, that's dirt. They must have they must have just got done in combat. They're in California. Just stepped out of the air conditioning. Weapon never been fired. Oh gosh. You hear somebody plotted to kill Joe Biden? Yeah, it turns out it was another Bernie Sanders guy. It's important that you and I take a moment. Not going to freak you out here. Do not underestimate the desperation of the left right now. Not only desperation. Think what they've been like for the last four years. Now, over the past two months, they've had nothing but poll after poll after poll after poll telling them that Donald Trump is going to lose this election. If Donald Trump wins, as I think he will, these people are going to lose their freaking minds. And these are violent people. Hang on. Joining me now, as he does every Tuesday at this time, and man, I've never been more hesitant to have him on, (laughs) host of the World News with BK and former Air Force PJ. BK, let's just just go ahead. Get it over with. Well, I'm curious, Jesse. I've been tracking carefully, as you know, this (laughs) story about the British man and his wife who are in uh, trouble for... uh, Basically, uh, having relations with many, many chickens, and thanks to a wrinkle in the law, Jesse, he's being allowed to keep the surviving chickens, even though in his sexual encounter, the chicken did not survive. That's right. We are talking a husband and wife chicken necrophilia couple, because sadly, the chickens did pass away. 
as he used them sexually, Jesse. So that's what's going on, and I'm keeping a careful eye on that one. <laughs> and you. I'm just wondering, Jesse, how do these people find each other? Just, you know, that's like a niche. That's like a niche sexual belief right there. You know, like, hey, honey, would you film me? Uh, you know, doing this with these chickens. How does that work? I, I'm, I'm fascinated by it. You know, I will. I will tell you. One, you're a sicko. Two, <laughs> I have to assume. That only one of them was into it in the beginning because there's no way you found somebody. You're not bringing which date, what number on the date are you bringing that up once you move <laughs> past mean, your political beliefs? So, so clearly one of them had to be radicalized over time, right? Uh, that, that's probably the more reasonable explanation. But, you know, at the same time, I do enjoy it. And let's be honest, Jesse, chickens are not high on my animal hierarchy. So, like, you know what? If you want to. If you want to throw down at the few chickens, I'm probably going to look the other way. <laughs> it's it's so funny you brought that up because we actually did a cockfighting story this morning. Uh, there was an illegal cockfight in Philippines, not because cockfighting mm. is illegal in the Philippines, but because uh, because of coronavirus, they've banned the large gatherings. And some cop got killed because he tried to grab one of these cocks and it sliced his femoral artery. And it got me thinking, Dude. man, I would kill to go to a cockfight. I know. Yeah, you know, we can't have anything fun anymore. It's really annoying to me. We can't. Tell me tell me this. What are what do we think I should say because there's no question neither of us will know. What do we think the international laws are? If you were to have your own island and contrary to what people believe, you don't have to spend a fortune for them. Islands are available all over the world. That's if you true. had your own island, What's to stop you from having animal fights on the island, like the old gladiatorial games? What's to stop you? People would flock to that. You'd make a fortune. I think so, too. Uh, you know, the only thing that would stop me is, like, again, my my inner moral compass and my animal hierarchy, which is quite structured. I mean, I'm not going to have, like, to me, I mean, I would throw somebody in prison for the rest of their life for, like, dog fights, right? Oh, yeah. But, like, the, you know, no. Cock, but, yeah, but, yeah, like, no. cock I don't care. When I say when I say animal fights, let me be clear. It's only the ugly ones we don't care about here, people. I mean, right. some hyenas can get in a fight with that annoying laugh thing they do, and obviously right. chickens and stuff. We're not fighting cool stuff. I, yeah, right. That's and I would right. The hierarchy is delineated, Jesse. Like I've long been an advocate for like I'm I'm and and spare me the the emails you guys have gotten them about the big game hunting. I've gone. I've been pretty clear that I'm against it. But yes, I've gotten many many emails about why it's necessary fine spare me but i'm saying i'm fine with the big game hunting if the guy is like doing it like with a handheld weapon you know like you know like how like <laughs> in some african tribes like the dude has to like kill a lion with a spear i'm like okay you can do that and a spear to me is a handheld weapon because if you throw it and miss you're effed right yeah so you have to like you that to me is a handle but if you want to like go kill an elephant with like a sword okay go for it you, but, know, you know, like taking out an elephant with like a 50 cal from like 200 meters away. I mean, what, I don't get it. I don't get how that's sporting in any way. And the elephant is a magnificent animal, highly conscious. Uh, it doesn't make sense to me. Justin. Well, I'll put it to you this way. My own stance on big game hunting is this. It's very similar to what my stance was on dating. It's 100 percent based on attractiveness of the animal. Yes. I actually and, and this is this is no exaggeration. I don't know what this is. I don't think I could ever hunt a lion, which I view as a beautiful creature, even though I want a, I an animal, an animal, a lion coat. I could never hunt an elephant because, no. like you said, they're cool and their families and stuff like that. But a Cape buffalo, that big, ugly, snotty beast, I could <laughs> smoke one of those without a second thought. <laughs> 
Yeah, it would be tough for me. I could never like, you know, have an I could never have a lion in my sights and pull the trigger. I mean, if it was like I mean, if it's attacking me, it's a whole other deal. But, you know, it's just sitting there like looking magnificent. It's not going to happen. I could, I could never do it. Uh, you're a big California softie, though. I, I, I would know. Have... I know. I would never want to hunt one, but man, I dude, and this is this is legit. Here's the problem I've run into in my own life, BK, and I wrestle with this. I never want to hunt one, but I want one of those like Game of Thrones cloaks of a bear or a lion or something like that so bad. And I don't feel like as a man, you can wear one of those cloaks unless you killed it yourself. Yeah, and I'm a big bear guy. Um, I I really like really want a uh, instead of a service animal from the Veterans uh, Administration, I would like a service bear. I think like that would be like the, I mean, imagine rolling into like the VA, Jesse, with like you know your your bear, bro, and you're just sitting there with like this seven foot bear. I mean, how cool is that? You could have all kinds of adventures. Uh, somebody get me a bear right away. I don't I don't necessarily think that's going to work the way you think it is, but let's just move on. All right, BK, we have a peace deal with Sudan. Now, Americans in general, most of the world, frankly, doesn't really care about Africa. So when they hear Sudan, they lump it in with every other place in Africa. Some places in Africa are wonderful. Some are the biggest rundown dumps in the world. What is Sudan? Uh, Sudan is, yeah, Sudan, like you said, Je- Jesse, the, Africa is a fascinating to me. I'm one of the, probably the only podcast on the internet that covers Africa mm-hmm. on a regular basis. Indeed, like last week, I think my first three or four stories were all Africa, very diverse continent. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you saw the story today, Jesse, but Nigeria, which is Africa's most populous nation, in case you didn't know, I did not. the Nigerians love Trump. I mean, they love him. It's uh it's a fascinating thing, but Sudan is you know, an Arab state, essentially. It's uh, it's a lot more uh, geared towards the Arab world than the African world. And, you know, they've been going under what most countries do in Africa. They got, uh, you know, they've been going through all kinds of coups. They have new leadership. We just took them off the group of state sponsors of terrorism uh, because they have been accused of supporting groups like Hamas and Hezbollah. And uh, this agreement will allow economic and trade relations between us and Sudan, plus notably Israel and Sudan, by going forward. And it, first, apparently it's first going to focus on agricultural products and financial assistance. But this is a good first step. And we have to wonder, you know, is this like going to keep going on and uh, eventually bring Saudi Arabia into this kind of fold of all these Middle Eastern Arab nations kind of dumping essentially the Palestinian cause and uh, moving closer to Israel and establishing ties. So we'll see what happens. It's very exciting, you know, and if it was any other president, this would be all over the front page of the news. What's the economic situation like in Sudan? Uh, It's not great. It's still a primary agricultural country, but this is good for Sudan because they're looking for some foreign aid. And one of the processes in this new agreement is going to be a lot of international debt relief and a bunch of other stuff, including like they're going to get all kinds of donations of wheat, for example. And there's promises, apparently, of hundreds of millions of dollars in investment that the Trump administration have promised to put into Sudan. I'm not sure what kind of investment that's going to be. But also, as part of this deal for coming off the list, Sudan had to agree to pay $335 million in compensation to the victims, of course, of those two bombings, the 1998 bombings of the U.S. embassies and the Kenya and Tanzania, and the 2000 attack on the USS Cole. You guys remember that one? That's awesome. Uh, because they, they concluded that Sudan was complicit 
in both attacks when they harbored the al-Qaeda militants who carried both those attacks out. So in return, Sudan says it wants immunity from all the other lawsuits and uh, terror activity during the primary, uh, the former president, al-Bashir, uh, they said they want immunity from everything else that was happened while he was in office. So we'll okay. see what happens. How about that? Look at this, man. A wealth of knowledge with the exception of the chicken stuff, BK. Host of wealth World of News knowledge, BK. Yeah. <laughs> Appreciate you, brother. <laughs> Thanks, brother. Later. All right. Man, these shows fly by. Hang on. I am not going to dwell on the chicken story from BK, but I am, I mean, I guess I shouldn't dive too deeply into the world of people who are insane because you're never going to understand them. I had this question the other night. I told you about the the neighbor lady who came and asked me about the election. She was talking to me about you know, relatives, people she knows that are hardcore leftists, and she was trying to psychologize them. She's like, I want you to make me understand. And what I explained to her was, you're never going to understand. Their minds do not work like your mind works. It works in a different way. I've learned this a long time ago. I understand some things about leftists. I don't understand leftists. I don't understand why you would think in that way. And I never will. And you never will. I don't get it. And the chicken story, I mean, it, it is curious. Surely they didn't meet, and while they were dating, that came up. I'm assuming one of them was into it and slowly worked the other one into it. But how does that—you know what? I'm already grossed out. I'm going to stop here. I'm, I'm going to assume drugs are involved. I'm just going to stop here. I'm grossed out. You know what I do, Chris? I already sound like my parents. Anytime something terrible happens and someone does something terrible, I blame drugs. It's probably on drugs. It's probably the drugs. <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not sure which drugs would force you to look at a chicken in that way. But I don't want any of those. Those don't sound like fun drugs at all. Chris Cuomo socializes mask-free at a private members club. This is from page6.com. Chris Cuomo has taken his no mask act on the town. No mask act. That's difficult to actually say on air, but Chris, when you're me, you can say stuff like that without missing a beat. Should be noted, jesse at jessekellyshow.com, jesse at jessekellyshow.com. If you missed any part of the show, the entire thing is podcasted on iHeart, Google, Spotify, and iTunes. On iTunes, subscribe, leave a five-star rating, Leave a review discussing how handsome I am because they make me laugh and I read them live on the air and management hates it. Back to this page six thing. Spies spotted the CNN anchor hanging at a downtown private members club, hobnobbing without a mask and acting like he was the mayor of the joint. 
Quote, he was not social distancing and was walking around indoors shaking hands and greeting people without a mask. He was just hanging with Brooke Shields' husband. It's a double standard when his brother is attacking the restaurant industry and implementing all these senseless rules. I'm not going to point out leftist hypocrisy because I don't like doing that because they don't care. You can point it out all day long. And here's part of the reason they don't care. And it can be hard for us to understand this. They genuinely think, not in like a joking tongue-in-cheek way, these people genuinely think they are better than you, and they think this is part of the reason they're so controlling. They think they are put here to be in charge of you. It would it would not even bother Cuomo if you could really squeeze an honest answer out of him about this. He would simply tell you, well, yeah, I wasn't wearing a mask and stuff. Don't you understand? I'm Chris Cuomo. No, this was at a this was at a, a, a private club with with other famous and rich people. No, we don't have to wear a mask. No, we're we're us. You do. You have to understand it's just for you. These rules and stuff like that, they're, they're, not, they're not for us. You didn't, you didn't think these rules were for us. Rules are for the little people. People like us who make the rules, we don't, we don't follow those. You, didn't, you don't actually believe that, right? You don't have to wrap your mind around that thinking, but you do have to understand that is the thinking. People on the right always dog on FDR, and you should. I mean, it was just a disaster. But if you actually read a bunch of stuff on FDR, and he was a disaster, and I'm not defending this, but FDR had a mentality, and it seems he really got it from his family. FDR simply felt like, He was special, and he should be in charge of you. And whether you like it or not, there were certain things he felt that you should be doing, and he completely felt comfortable mandating that you do them. He was not constrained by the laws or constitutions or what you wanted, and it wouldn't have entered his mind to be constrained by that. You don't understand. He's special. You're not. He's supposed to make the rules. You follow them. Hang on. Gold is just one of those things that has had value forever. Ever. It has always had value and it's going to keep its value. It's a safe thing to invest your money in. So get a gold IRA from Gold Alliance. Gold Alliance has an A plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. Let me say that again. Gold Alliance has an A plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. Do you know how difficult it is to get an A plus rating with the Better Business Bureau? So I'm not telling you to go just toss your money at some fly-by-night company. 
Gold Alliance has a long established record. They know what they're doing. They will guide you through it. And you can't believe how easy the process is. You cannot believe it. They've done it a million times before. They'll help you out. Goldalliance.com slash Jesse. Again, that's goldalliance.com slash Jesse. Make sure you diversify. have to understand why people on the left think the way they do. You just have to understand what they're thinking. The why is so interesting so often. However, it's not always important. Don't worry about why. Worry about what. Worry about how to stop what. That's the problem. We are going to have a fun show tomorrow. And all week, I realize the election's in a week. You don't hear me down in the dumps, do you? You don't hear me stressed out? Life's going to go on. We're going to charge headlong into this election. And we're either going to celebrate on the rooftops that night, or we're going to cry ourselves to sleep, and then we'll lick our wounds and get up the next day and move right along. That's all. Jesse Kelly show. You know, your house smells. Don't get mad. Don't get mad. My house smells too. I'm not, I'm not indicting you. I'm sure you keep a clean home, but just time means you're going to acquire smells, whether those are cooking smells that get in your paint and your carpet. Maybe they're animal smells. Maybe you're a smoker or someone else was just living creates smells. I didn't realize that my home had a smell to it until I got my first Eden Pure Thunderstorm, the greatest air purifier I've ever, ever owned in my life. This thing, I had it plugged in for two hours. I came back in the room and my air smelled so clean. I now own three of them. I'm not making that up. This thing has absolutely changed me on top of what it's done for my allergies. Go get one, get two, be like me and get three. Go to EdenPureDeals.com. Make sure you use the promo code JESSE that gets you 10 bucks off and free shipping. EdenPureDeals.com, promo code JESSE. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic Gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, host of Everyday Better, an award-winning weekly podcast dedicated to personal development. Whether you're looking for ways to shift your mindset or seeking more fulfillment in your life, we've got you covered. Join me as we dive into captivating stories and research-backed ideas that have empowered me and others to lead lives with more clarity and intention. Everyday Better, making growth an everyday practice. Listen to Everyday Better on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s, I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. Work is changing, we are changing, and there's no guidebook for how to make sense of it. Start your week with the Hello Monday podcast. Listen to Hello Monday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball. From growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 